have a few announcements. The ashram's offering online training in Shiva Process Self-Inquiry and your level one training is now available. It's a perfect opportunity, perfect time in lockdown to learn how to process yourself. And, you know, I think it's a real game changer learning to navigate and to uplift your inner world. You can do the training via Zoom from anywhere in the, in the world with one of our ashram facilitators. So please check this out on our website. We're also offering at the moment free upward shift meditations each morning during this lockdown period. So join us each day as a different ashramite leads the meditation on Instagram. That's at 8.30am Melbourne time. Also, I've got a date for your diary. We have our next mini online retreat and intensive coming up on the weekend of the 1st to the 3rd of October. We'll, we'll also be commemorating Baba's Maha Samadhi this weekend and further information on this is coming soon. Thank you. Okay, now, um, <clears throat> uh, because the world is in such strife and such turmoil, uh, we're going to do the Guru Stotram to relieve everyone's suffering, suffering from the pandemic, and now we have the horrible situation in Afghanistan and who knows what else is going on. So we're going to do the Guru Stotram, which is a portion of the Guru Gita, hoping for the blessings of the Guru, the power of the lineage to help in all these situations. So let's do that now. Chara Chara, Yatam Yena Jagat. 
Welcome everyone to tonight's satsang. <clears throat> and I always like to uh, begin satsang remembering my guru, Baba Muktananda, who began every program by saying in Hindi, Sabko Barisanmane Kesat Premsi Adik Swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he would always say that that's the essence of spirituality, to welcome another person with love, to welcome yourself with love. <clears throat> it's a very high bar, and that it isn't really, because love is our very nature. So in that spirit, I want to welcome everybody. <clears throat> and tonight, uh, we have a program that I do every once in a while, and it's called Notes from the Tea Shop. 
And uh, through my years in the yoga, dating back to <clears throat> the time I spent in Ganeshpuri Ashram, I did odd juttings about understandings I had or fragments of things that I heard, quotes from Baba and from other sages. Uh, and I compiled notebooks uh, filled with all this stuff. And lately I've been collecting them and they have become notes from the tea shop. And uh, here's uh, a picture of uh, the tea shop. This is a tea shop. And people have challenged me and said, that's Photoshop. Well, I admit it. I'm real, but the rest of it has been Photoshop. <laughs> That's a typical uh, afternoon uh, tea uh, session there in Ganeshpuri in the 70s, having chai. Everyone's dressed for work, ready to go to, out to Seva after we've had our afternoon rest, and we will go for a cup of chai, and then we're going to go out to the garden. Uh, it's obviously the hot weather, so there you go. Notes from the tea shop. <clears throat> so tonight, uh, I've selected a few uh, notes from the tea shop which relate to the great philosophy of Kashmir Shaivism. <clears throat> Kashmir Shaivism is the perfect expression of what I call the philosophy of consciousness. It says that consciousness underlies everything and is at the center of everything. Consciousness and not something inert is at the core of what is. This whole universe, Shaivism says, is nothing but the play of consciousness. Shiva's play, that is, divine play. Every activity, every thought, every feeling, every person, including yourself, is an embodiment of this consciousness. And from this point of view, Kashmir Shaivism, or just Shaivism, is the supreme tantric vision. This means that it embraces the world and does not deny it or turn away from it. If it's all God, what is there to reject uh, or to turn away from? This is the tantric vision. This is the Shaivite vision. <clears throat> Baba, of course, was schooled in the uh, ancient philosophy of Advaita Vedanta, which held sway in India for many, many years. Still, still does. He studied the most esoteric form uh, of Vedanta. Um, Vedanta is a philosophy of consciousness. However, uh, it turns out to be world-denying, not like Shaivism, which I say was world-affirming. Uh, it labels pejoratively all worldly activity, this is Vedanta, as maya. It says it's maya, or uh, the greater illusion. And in doing that, it creates a separation from the world, a kind of world-loathing. Uh, <clears throat> it appears, from all I can tell, um, that sometime in the 60s, or even before that, Baba came across Kashmir Shaivism, the philosophy of Kashmir Shaivism. Um, particularly, uh, Shemaraj's great book, The Pratyabhijna Vridayam. Uh, 
very short book, but contains the whole sweep of Shaivism. And uh, he certainly, Baba demonstrated uh, his, his great happiness with that book. Um, and Baba immediately seemed to relate to it and saw that it, it was consonant with his own experience. And he began to teach and write from that platform. So by the time that I knew him, a lot of what he was saying was pure Kashmir Shaivism. A scholar says, Kashmir Shaivism, with its world-embracing teaching that God exists in every aspect of life, uh, was a perfect philosophy for the Western mind, which needed, above all, a means of reconciling the pursuit of God with love for the life of the world. And when I came across Shaivism, it took me a while to understand what, that what Baba was teaching was from that platform. I saw that Shaivism, especially the way Baba expressed it, was perfect for the Western sensibility because it embraces the world and yet looks for God in the world. <clears throat> so I was so enthusiastic about Baba's Shaivite teachings that I collected them and asked his permission to create a book of them, which he said yes, and that became Siddha Meditation, which contains his extraordinary commentaries on Shaivite texts. Anyway, here are a few notes from the tea shop that are relevant to Shaivism. Also, you should understand that um, these, these philosophical darshans, they're called darshans because uh, it's like having darshan of a god, seeing. They're, ways of, they're visions, ways of seeing uh, the ultimate. And so there's kind of a, a, um, a dialectic that goes on on a cosmic level. Um, a, a proposition is put forward, and then the sages come, and then they answer it with another kind of proposition, always trying to get closer and closer to an expression of divinity, because words and philosophy very hard to express the experience of God, and so they always need another angle to uh, do it. And so Vedanta was asking for an answer to its denial, and the Shaivite sages in the ninth century started to come up with that. They started to see, well, if it's all consciousness, why do we have to say the world is unreal. Why can't we say the world is real? And so that's what happened. It's a dialectic that happens with that. And all the great philosophies could be seen as, as moments in that dialectic. Everyone is, has a, a certain validity in itself, and yet they won't all be equally appealing to individuals. So, okay, notes from the tea shop. This one's called We Live in Two Worlds. And I always uh, begin my, my Learn to Meditate course by saying we live in two worlds, not one. <clears throat> and those are the outer world of matter and the inner world of consciousness. And people said, oh, I never thought of that, but that's obviously true. Where's matter, the material world out there? Where's consciousness? In here. Matter can't get in there. That's consciousness. And that's material objects. <clears throat> so there are two worlds. There are two things. Uh, and this involves 
uh, three possible worldviews. First of all, matter and consciousness are two separate things, and they're eternally separate, and they exist forever. And that's, uh, that's called uh, duality, and uh, most philosophers that can't stand duality, they want to resolve it into one. But this was the philosophy of, of a very powerful darshan called Samkhya, which held the stage before Advaita Vedanta came in. And that said that there's, spirit, there's, there's consciousness and matter, and the problem with consciousness is it gets contaminated by matter and has to pull away from it. So that's one view, that the, the, these two things. Then the only other two views is our monistic views, that either matter is primary and consciousness is an occurrence within matter, or consciousness is primary and matter is an occurrence within consciousness. So these are the different views. So the, the view that consciousness is primary uh, involve, uh, includes Shaivism and Vedanta, while the view that matter is primary involves everything we've learned since we grew up. Of course, it's Western materialism. It's the religion of matter and science and material stuff, which is basically our culture. It's so much in our blood we don't even know it. <clears throat> so all three of these uh, has their own point of view. Another one, ready? Kashmir Shaivism versus Vedanta, with a little help from Gurdjieff. Uh, this is called the yoga of yes and the yoga of no. Kashmir Shaivism is the yoga of yes. Gurdjieff would call it holy affirming, H-O-L-Y, holy affirming. Uh, in Kashmir Shaivism, the goddess is the Shakti. The goddess is the divine deity of the whole manifest universe. <clears throat> Vedanta, on the other hand, is the yoga of no. The yes and no, as the Beatles told us. You say yes, I say no. No, how's it go? I say yes, you say no. <clears throat> this polarity of yes and no is very basic. Very basic, to affirm and to deny. The two modes of the human mind. Um, and so the yes philosophy is Shaivism. The no philosophy, Vedanta. Gurdjieff would call it holy denying. Notice that the denial is holy. We think to be negative, to be in denial is somehow a bad thing often, but it's also holy. It's a holy movement. It's the destructive, the, to deconstruct. Shiva's power of deconstruction. So Vedanta is wholly denying, and there the goddess, who is totally positive in Shaivism, becomes Maya, or the cosmic illusion, to be shunned and overcome. <clears throat> but uh, both of these can be used. If you're in a negative mood, you can uh, use that mood and, uh, and uh, contemplate Vedanta. Very good for a negative mood. So when you're feeling negative, just say, not this, not this, all this is nothing. This is all 
dust. But if you're in a positive mood, uh, you can become a Shaivite. Feeling good? Say, all oh, this is God, all oh, this is Shiva. That way you use it. Which leads to the next note from the Tisha called Your Natural Mantras Generated by Your Body. Your Natural Mantras. <clears throat> and um, he says, in a diary, write your matrikas while you're in a good state. What are your thought forms when you're in a good state? You're, you're feeling good that day? Take out your diary. You all have spiritual diaries, right? You write, dear diary, I had a good day. <laughs> I hated only three people today. <laughs> right? Okay, so, so <clears throat> these, in a diary, write your matrikas, your thought forms, while you're in a good state. Write your matrikas while you're in a bad state. It's a very, very interesting exercise. When you're feeling good, what are you thinking? Write it down. When you're feeling bad, what are you thinking? When you're feeling, when you're, when you're feeling, how, what are you feeling if, if you write down, I'm worthless, I'm no good, I'm a sinner, I'm a, a loser, no one loves me. How are you feeling when you have that? You're probably feeling bad, aren't you? So you write that down, and you're feeling good. You think, I'm all right, this is great, life is all right. <clears throat> so what matrikas, what thought forms were there during the best period in your past? I'm not saying scripture, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about those thought forms that enter your sphere of thought. You don't think every thought in the world, Upasi Maharaj says we only think very narrow band of thoughts. You don't think the same thoughts that uh, uh, a nuclear physicist thinks, or somebody, or a member of a terrorist group, or maybe you do, I don't know. But you, um, you have a certain band of thoughts that come into your mind. So what were the thoughts during your best period the thoughts during your best period are your natural mantras. Make use of them. Work on those thoughts to uplift your own natural mantras. This is very Shaivite because it takes what occurs in nature. It honors what occurs in nature, what you produce yourself. You don't have to look in a scripture for that. Okay, another one. <clears throat> I've often talked about this. This is the two narratives. And we each have two stories or narratives within us. Sometimes we have more than that, but basically the narrative of Jiva and the narrative of Shiva. Those of you who don't know these terms, Shiva means the divine narrative, of course, and jiva is the individual soul. So the narrative of jiva is your personal story. Oh, uh, I was pretty good, but then I got neglected, and then that happened, and your own story. That's the story of the, your jivahood, your individuality. And you could say, 
that the jiva uh, are a statements. The narrative of jiva is all the a statements you have. I feel good, I feel sad, I feel angry, I feel happy. <clears throat> these are fragments, these A statements are fragments of, the G, of Jiva's narrative, story that's going on, the novel that's going on. And Shiva's narrative, the fragments of Shiva's narrative are the G statements. Shivoham, I am Shiva. Aham um, Brahmasmi, I am Brahman. <clears throat> Generally, the Jiva narrative is implanted by our parents and by our culture. We, don't, we can't remember how we got it, but it comes about by the atmosphere that we live in, in our parents' atmosphere and the, in the culture. And it seems like we've always had this narrative, the psychology. Um, for the Shiva narrative, the Shiva narrative, we're not aware of. We're not aware, I am Shiva, most of us. Uh, and so at some point, we discover it. And that's the point at which we become spiritual seekers. How do we discover it? It comes about in different ways. It could be through a scripture, meeting a guru, and we hear the words of the guru, and the guru gives us <clears throat> the outline of the Shiva narrative. He says, you are the self. Baba used to say every night, you are the self. You are divine. You are beautiful. You are wonderful. You have divinity within you. God is within you. And then we would listen to him and say, oh, yes. Nobody ever told me that. My mother didn't tell me that. Uh, Miss Dougherty, my first grade teacher, didn't tell me that. Um, nobody told me that. Uh, the news, the, the announcers, Walter Cronkite on the CBS News, didn't tell me that. Only Baba told me that. And then the Upanishads told me that. And all the sages told me that. <clears throat> so... Uh, we recognize it and we know that it's true. Uh, now, Advaitins, those who, uh, who only embrace the divine, they try to get rid of the jiva narrative. They try to deny it. I am not a body. I am not a person. I'm only the self. But it's not that easy to get rid of this jiva, this jiva narrative your sad story, your painful story, just the, the, the body hangs on you in a very weighty manner. So the jiva narrative is not so easy to get rid of it. Materialists <clears throat> have no idea about the Shiva narrative. People who just live a mundane existence, people who live just for material pleasure, material success, or material failure, those people have no idea of a higher possibility. <clears throat> Shaivites honor both narratives. The Shaivite doesn't try to deny the Jiva narrative, acknowledges it, and says there's, some, there's divinity also in our Jiva nature, our individual nature. We have to find that. We can't just throw it away 
nor can we get totally locked into it so that it obliterates divinity. We have to find a way to deal with it, accept it, and discover the divinity there. Um, <clears throat> the Upanishads have a different narration. Upanishads are very noble scripture. And their nar nar narration is from the point of view of the highest truth. Uh, from the point of view, uh, it's a different way of thinking. From the point of view of jiva, death is a calamity. The ultimate calamity, any movie, the death of the hero is the worst thing that could possibly happen. They're always fighting not to die or to save someone and so on. And in our life, we're like that too. Death is the worst calamity. That's from the point of view of Jiva, who looks only at the limited side. But from Shiva's point of view, death is part of a larger process. So imagine that um, somewhere up in the, the, the world of consciousness, the heaven world, there's a waiting room where souls are, are, are waiting to get embodied. They're in this waiting room. Little Muzak is playing. Uh, and um, they're going to, their people are being born on earth, and the soul says, hey, Number 34, come here. And they send them down. You're going down to uh, Melbourne. <clears throat> and then the soul says, Turak? No, sorry, North Frankston. <clears throat> All right, so. <clears throat> But, but from, and then from this point, of, from this room, then the souls are coming up after they die. They, oh, here's another one, come back up. Go sit over there for a while, we'll put you in, in the rotation. So you see, from that perspective, it's a whole different point of view. You go down, you come up, and then you go down again and come up again. So that's uh, the perspective of Shiva, the perspective of the Upanishads. But for us, the main thing is to uh, recognize and connect with the higher narrative, not to lose sight of that higher narrative. Sometimes uh, the jiva is so powerful and overwhelming. Our self-pity, our pain, our suffering, our lack, our attachments, our aversions overwhelms us so that we lose our brains and we lose that connection with the higher reality. And we have to affirm and hold on to that higher reality. Another one. How are we going? <clears throat> this one's called The Point of View of Shiva. <clears throat> now, the point of view of the jiva, see, we've got the two narratives, right? Point of view of the jiva is one among billions of possible points of view. Every one of us has a jivesque, jiva's point of view. That's your own personal point of view. I mean, you want good things for you. You don't want bad things. You want bad things for your enemy. You want good things for you, the ones you love. Uh, you, know, you want money. You want this, that. OK. So the, every jiva has its own personal point of view. Uh, and it's different. <clears throat> the point of view of Shiva includes all the possible 
lesser points of view, all, all the jivas' point of view, that actually what Shaivism tells us is these jivas' points, jivas are just split off from Shiva, but they don't know it. So each point of view is kind of slivered, slivered Shiva's point of view. <clears throat> Shiva, each Shiva has preferences and aversions, but Shiva knows, Shiva knows it, that everything is as it should be. Doesn't have a problem. We think things are not at all what they should be. If you look around the world, it's pretty easy to be convinced that the world is not the way it should be right now, but it's always like that. <clears throat> but from Shiva's point of view, it's just the way it is. Shiva's up there thinking, ah, oh, yes, the pandemic, isn't that a marvelous thing? Oh, yes, M massacres and horror, just fantastic. It's my play. And Shakti comes in and says, Shiva, why do you like such dark things? And he says, it's not me, it's you, you're doing it. <laughs> and so they spend their day. <clears throat> so to move from the point of view of Jiva to the point of view of Shiva is a leap of courage and faith. The writer says, Jiva trembles, surrendering his will to the divine just as though Jiva trembled walking across a roundabout in India. I think that's a really good metaphor. I think we learned that in New York. We used to uh, just cross the street, knowing somehow that the Red Sea would part. When I got to Los Angeles, I was shocked because everybody waited for the green light. <laughs> and they crossed at the corner. In New York, it's just like a a movement at any point, any part of anything, you just move. But India's 10 times more than that. So <clears throat> the jiva trembles, putting his trust in God's wisdom. He trembles, letting go control. But this is what has to happen. OK, how are we doing? Good for one more? Okay, this is one uh, from the Vijnana Bhairava, one of the Dharanas, in a great text called the Vijnana Bhairava. And um, <clears throat> it says, it says this, the Vijnana Bhairava, many of you know, is a compendium of uh, exercises, meditations on these Shaivite truths. And one of them says, eternal omnipresent, without depending on any support, all-pervasive, Lord of all that is. By meditating every instant on these words in conformity with their meaning, one attains fulfillment. So what we have here, these words eternal, omnipresent, and so on, is a meditation on the perfection of divine, of, of Shiva, of God, of consciousness, of us, of our own perfection. Um, in Shaivism, Shaivism's very simple narrative when you really think about it. It's, it begins in perfection, in perfection, perfect, the perfect. 
perfect consciousness, which includes all possibilities, it's luminous and it's full of bliss. That's what it is. Then somehow, the drama thickens when that perfect expanded awareness becomes contracted. Then there's suffering. Then there's the individual jiva is formed. Then he has to claw his way back some eventually to this, the condition of perfection. So that's all it's about. It's about perfection being contracted and eventually expanding back to perfection. At the same time that this goes on, nothing has ever happened also. That's also true, that there is nothing but perfection always. At the beginning of that process, in the middle of that process, at the end, there's only that. This is what Shaivism says. <clears throat> but the, the Shaivite texts, Vinavagupta and others, describe the process of contraction many different ways. They are, they're basically, they're only involved in describing perfect consciousness, how it is, perfect light, perfect joy, perfect love, and then how it contracts. And it describes it many ways. Uh, it talks about uh, the malas, um, the, and the contraction of will, the contraction of wisdom, the contraction of feeling, talks about that, uh, and uh, it talks about matrika, or language, that language, uh, when it's in its pristine form, is full of light, T that language is turned towards God, it's full of light, like mantra, om, it's full of light, when it turns away from that, it becomes in darkened, separate, so that contraction happens through language, then it talks about these things called the kanchukas, uh, or limitations, the limitations of the shaktis or energies of God. And so this is another way. The kanchukas are limitations of divine qualities. So Shaivism says we are God having gone through the process of limitation, through the kanchukas, through the contraction. We were infinite, now we're finite. We were all-knowing, now we know a few little things. We were full of bliss, now we're miserable. We're, uh, you know, we used to be able to do anything, now we can only do a few things. So these are the kanchukas, and we've come down to this. So, so um, say to yourself, I am Shiva, having been contracted by the kanchukas. I am Shiva, having been contracted. <clears throat> and the note goes on. We're God having gone through the process of limitation. The way down suggests the way back. How do you go? How do you get back to town from Mount Eliza? You take the same road in the other direction. Go back the way you came. That which has been limited must be expanded. So with the Kanchukas, there is a limitation of time, space, energy, knowledge, will, and love. So the Vigyana Bharava says, meditate on the perfection of each of these things. Meditate on, on uh, time, 
So you meditate on eternity. You could say meditate on the present moment, which contains all time, past and present and future. And be present. The future doesn't exist, the past doesn't exist, only the present. Uh, you could meditate on omnipresence, that uh, we're not limited to a particular time and place, but the whole world is within me. I'm conscious as I contain the whole world. Everything is held in your awareness. Um, you can meditate on, on omnipotence. I'd suggest I join myself to Shiva's uh, will, to the will of the highest. And omniscience, I have universal understanding within me. Universal love, this is a beautiful one. I am love itself. We're always looking for love. We think someone else will give us love. We think we're dry, our hearts are dry. We need to get some love somewhere. But just meditate on the perfect condition of love which each of us has. We've just been cut off from it. And on universal will. This is meditation on the kanchukas. Whatever sense of limitation, so practically it means, what is the sense of limitation that most hangs you up? What is the, the story you tell yourself that most hangs you up? I am alone. I am unlovable. <clears throat> I am worthless. I am weak. I am limited. Those are all the kanchukas operating in you. Those are the malas operating in you. You have to turn them around and meditate on the perfection of that. Exactly the way you come down, go back. You have to face that difficult thought form and then turn it on its head and bring it back. <clears throat> okay, one more and then we'll meditate. Can't do too much of this without going into a, a coma. All right, this is one of my favorites. This is called Meditation, Two Great Techniques. Uh, I love this one. This is actually, um, this is one of the Vigyanabharava ones. The first one says, meditate on the deep sleep state. Meditate on the deep sleep state. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean some of us are successfully doing that already. <clears throat> it doesn't mean write an essay on deep sleep. It doesn't mean interview other people on deep sleep. It doesn't mean take, uh, go to a laboratory and put electrodes in people's head and measure their brain waves. It means turn within and say to yourself, I go into this deep sleep state every day. What the hell is it? And turn within and kind of model it within yourself. It's a very interesting one. And here's one I like. This one we could do now, and then we'll meditate. And this is very simple. Raise your consciousness without use of language. So close your eyes now. 
close your eyes now, and I want you to uplift your awareness without using some affirmation or thought. Just go right ahead and uplift your awareness inside yourself. Okay, were you able to do that? I, I, I get that some people could. Tell, who wants to share that? Go ahead, you better do it. No? I couldn't help but use language. What? I couldn't help but use language. Okay, that's all right. What? But you managed anyway. Uh, yes. Okay, that's okay. It's impossible. <laughs> Without language? <laughs> can can you just move your awareness towards? No. <laughs> I suppose there's a thought. I'm moving my awareness towards. It's impossible. Okay. <laughs> well, there's an intentionality. It's a good meditation. <laughs> That's wonderful. Languages. Who else had one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But she would argue, Dave Ma would argue that you had to think, I'm going to use my breath. Right? That's right. <laughs> okay. That's very, okay, but technically that's true. I, did, I used my breath too, but I had to think that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's impossible. I don't care what you say. <laughs> well, I can do it. How did you do it? I can do it. How did you do it? Just like, hmm. Yeah. And then you, to lift your arms, you have to. <laughs> that's a good debate to have. Okay. <laughs> always, always. Not always. What about this, I am. Okay. <laughs> That's very good. <clears throat> All right, we're going to have to work on that one. <laughs> so let's meditate. Let's meditate. It seems to me that it. The message of Shaivism is very, very simple. And the basic core of the message is remember your true nature. Remember your true nature. And don't accept limitation as your true nature because it's not. Limitation can be there, but you should also be aware of your true nature and constantly focus on that place, that shakti, that energy, that self. So let's now meditate for 10 minutes. And I want you to uplift your awareness without any language, without any thought. And if you can do that, then you win the award.
you can use the thought too if you want. But after you use the thought, then you won't be using the thought. You can use the thought to launch yourself. Shaivism would say that uh, to use a thought to launch yourself to that awareness is called shaktopaya, the method of shakti, or in this case, language. While shambhavapaya is simply a movement of will, wordless will, towards the self. So it would be an upliftment of the awareness, holding the awareness face-to-face with the true nature, with God. So whichever way you want to do it, let's do it. We'll meditate now for 10 minutes. Once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Satgunat Maharaj Ki Jai.